0: Let's go ahead and open in prayer. Um, Eric, would you be willing to open yeah. us in prayer? God, thank you for thank
1: you for the times of for in your name,
0: Amen. amen. <laughs> well tell her to stop cheating. She'll be expelled from class. Um, And then open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. So as your notes are upside down, I'm going to have you be in here for a second. If you haven't brought your Bibles, this is a a good lesson to learn that you should bring your Bible, because we're going to study the Bible. So Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. We're not going to cover all these verses, but it helps with context and it'll help with uh, what's coming next. So, Uh, Chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Can I have a volunteer? Josiah, go ahead.
1: Well, what things were gained to me, these I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also.
0: Okay, so let me tell you a story before we start. I know you all like stories, right? So I went through preparation this week for this class. I, I did a lot, of, lot more early than I usually do. Sometimes I work more towards the end of the week, but knowing that we had the funeral service for uh, Bill Wright, uh, I knew that Saturday was going to be pretty much scheduled for me. Um, so I, I got most of it done by Friday, and then I had a few things I had to work on Saturday, so I worked on that after the funeral. And I was done, and I, I I thought I had really everything done, but I didn't feel really good about the lesson I had. Um, so Saturday night, I, I shower Saturday night. I like evening showers. It relaxes me, calms me down. Um, so I, I, I was in the shower, and I, I was thinking on my Sunday school lesson. I find recently I've been praying or thinking on Bible stuff a lot in the shower, which is weird, maybe, but um, that's what I was doing, because I was standing there, what else am I going to do? So I, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking about it, and I'm like... There's something here I'm missing. And so I, I thought through some things, and some, this morning I woke up early and worked on reworking some of the points and, and doing some things a little different. Um, so I want to work with you through the process of where I got to this, because I think will help to understand this passage a little better. Because I think when you look at this, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, you look at verses 1 through, th- one through 3, if you're like me, and maybe you're not, it, you might look at this and say, this is a little bit disjointed. It, Paul talks about one thing in verse 1, and then verse 2 seems to be something different, then verse 3 seems to be a couple of different concepts. What's going on here? But I think these actually all work together really well. So I'm going to ask a few questions of you. I want you to participate and hopefully lead you to where I got to, and then we can go into the lesson that I think it will help us to understand the passage a little better. Does that make sense? No, it's a little different, but we're going to try this. So my first question is, what is commanded in verses 1 through 3? Question mark. So what is commanded? What what commands do we have there? Abigail. Uh, rejoice, beware. Oh, you're going to give me them all. Okay. Rejoice, and have no beware. So rejoice is twice, and have... No confidence. Right? Is that, that Did I get that right, Abigail? Okay. Anybody else see anything else in the first three verses, commands that we were given? Beware is actually, there's three of these, right? Anybody else see anything? I want to make sure we haven't missed anything. That was the easy question, by the way. So the second question here, because I think these three go together, and you look at rejoice, beware, and have no confidence, you may say they don't fit together. I think they do, and I'm going to explain that a little bit. So the next one is what does rejoice mean?
1: Now what does the word mean or the confidence
0: yes. Okay, Enjoy. to have jo- I'm going to write everything down here, and then we're going to talk about it. To have joy. Okay, that's good. To have joy. You can see the kind of joy in the word. To have joy. Any other thoughts? What does rejoice mean? Happiness. Okay, happiness. Yeah. Celebration, I heard. Okay, that doesn't really define. That's kind of an example. I'm looking for what does it mean because it said to rejoice. What what was going on then? What what were they doing? What does the rejoicing? Okay, inner joy. Peace. Gladness. Anything else? John? Give praise. Okay, give praise. Abigail? Okay, gladness, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, it's kind of this, you're kind of saying similar things here, so I'm going to put gladness and worship together, and then understand who God is and our relationship with him, right? That's kind of what both of you are saying. So I'm going use gladness. It's a, it's a verb. It's a verb. It's good. Any other thoughts on this? Okay, one more question, and then I think maybe we can get into the lesson. What... I'm put it, if anything is the difference between having joy and rejoicing. So I guess, is there a difference, and if there is, what is the difference between having joy and rejoicing? Josiah?
1: Having joy can just be like a, a temporary feeling of happiness,
0: but rejoicing is like a choice that you make. Right. Okay. An active choice is that I'm going to be rejoicing and I'm going to be glad of my situation. I think joy is also... And I, I like that you're thinking about this. Um, our Joy... I'll, I'll explain that in a second. I, I think you're on the right track, but you're not quite there. It's not exactly correct, and I'll explain. Um, Nathan's hand went up next, then Matt, then Sarah. So i will go that order. Joy is... Uh, joy, would be like the the okay. joy is choose choosing to be joyful and uh, rejoicing is the actions of I say actions of being joyful is that kind of what you're saying We said call and effect, cause and effect, cause and effect, good. Okay, and uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but we say having joy is passive.
1: Having
0: joy is passive versus Good. Does everybody understand kind of this is what we're saying here? Does this make sense? This is the conclusion I came to after thinking about it for a long time and going, why didn't Paul just say, have joy in the Lord in chapter 3, verse 1, for instance? Why did he say rejoice in the Lord? I thought, what is rejoicing? Well, rejoicing is something you see in people, right? If somebody's rejoicing, you go, they're rejoicing. I can see that. Joy, again, I think the passive active, the inner attitude I think that's a really good definition there, that the joy is is something, and and again, these ought to be connected, right? I'm not saying that you can have joy and you're not rejoicing, or that you're rejoicing without joy. They work together. But the joy is, um, somebody said uh, cause effect, that joy is what God gives you. It's the attitude you have, and it results in rejoicing. This is what I came up with, and this is why... Um, it took me a while to get there, and maybe you're like, well, you're not very smart, Sean, because we got to that in five minutes in the class. Um, but I had to think about it a while. So now you can flip your notes over. Thank you for indulging me on that. Um, so I think now, I'm going to go back here a second, we're going to go into notes in a, sec- notes in a second. So um, we're going to look at these two concepts, then in this passage, and I'm, I want to redefine this a little bit because I think there's a better word to use here, but these two concepts are opposite of each other, based on what we're discussing and what I'm going to show you. So rejoicing or having confidence in the flesh. They, you're doing one or the other. They don't coincide. They don't work together. And so that's where we're going to get here. And when I start on my notes, I put down, uh, Paul begins to give us a contrast between two states of mind. On one hand, we can be confident in the flesh and the things we have done and accomplished. And I think, and we're gonna look at more with Paul next week and next couple weeks. Um, but when Paul says, I have confidence in the flesh, he starts listing his religious accomplishments. How uh, he was, you know, the perfect jeweled Jew, so to speak. You know, we know he wasn't perfect, but he was doing everything that the Jews would tell him he was, should be doing. And he says that could be confidence in that confidence in the flesh. So um The confidence of the flesh reflects things that we have done and accomplished. On the other hand, we can rejoice in the Lord Jesus Christ and put our confidence in what he has done for us. In the next couple of lessons, we will see that our confidence should be in Christ. So that's where we're going to look at. Um, So in chapter 3, verse 1, we read, Finally, brethren, rejoice in the Lord. I'm just going to take the first part of that verse here, um, and then we'll talk about the other part in a second. Um, So number one here is rejoice. Um, And before we get to talk about rejoice, there's a couple words that precede rejoice in this. It starts with finally. Um, My first thought on this is looking at this and saying, oh, Paul's saying finally, and then he writes two more chapters. (laughs) And as we MacArthur, MacArthur says... This finally is better, furthermore, so then, or now then. So basically, it's an idea of building on what he's already taught in Philippians. We know in the previous chapter, he he talked about uh, being of one accord, one mind, to be unified together and to have the mind of Christ. And I think that going forward, this is what Paul is saying, that as I teach you how you're supposed to act in Christ, this is what it means to have Christ's mind. And So one of the things that, that Christ's mindset does is Christ rejoices, rejoices in God in God the Father, and our rejoicing ought to be in the Lord also. Um, So that's what he's saying. Then he says, brethren, again, we sometimes skip over these words, finally, my brethren. But it's an important word. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to fellow believers in Christ. He's writing to people that he has a relationship with, that he knows, that are serving the Lord, that are uh, seeking to do what's right. And so he's instructing them based on that. And we're going to see in the next point that um, Paul desires to do that. And continue to do that. Um, and then he uses the word my here. So Paul identifies with them. It's my brethren. It's not just you're all brothers and I'm some higher order or something like that. No, he's, he's one with them. He's working on this together with them. He's moving in the same direction they are. Uh, so Paul has a, a identification with these believers. And then he gets to rejoice. Uh, this word rejoice, I don't give you the Greek very often, but uh, you see uh, Cairo there this is a word, it means to rejoice or to be glad. So I think someone had uh, gladness in here. Um, some people use happiness. I think sometimes happiness, we say, relates more towards our feelings or our circumstances. You know, I'm happy I got a Lego Boeing 787 model for Christmas. It made me very happy. You know, if I didn't get that, I wouldn't be as happy. I don't know. Um, but, but the gladness maybe... Um, the idea that no matter what the circumstances are, uh, we have that joy in our life, rejoicing. Um, so I, I gave rejoicing a twofold definition because I think it's having joy in the knowledge and presence of God. I think that's where it starts. But then also the second part of it is that expressing that joy in our words and our lives. Again, we talked about the outward expression, being active and rejoicing. When people rejoice, you know, you see Paul rejoicing like in Acts, and what is he doing? He's singing, he's praising God, he's speaking of Scripture. He's rejoicing in how he acts and lives, and that's what we ought to be doing. So it's expressing uh, joy in our words and our lives. And it's rejoicing in the Lord, so it's not in our circumstances, it's not in what we have done, it's not what we have accomplished. It's in the Lord. It's, uh, it's, it's in what he's done for us. It's in... Um, it's in his accomplishments in our life and how he works through us. Um, and, I think, and I think I'll hold on to this until we get to the other part, but this, I think there's a contrast there between having confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in Christ and his work and what he's done. And that's what we express. That's what we boast about. Um, so let's look at a couple passages about rejoicing. Uh, Romans five, ten through 11. Go ahead, Jordan. So maybe you're saying, it's hard for me to have joy in my life. Things are hard. Um, I don't enjoy what I'm doing in my job. I don't have good relationships with people. Maybe you're a single person. You're like, I wish God would send me a wife because I want to be married, and that would bring me some joy. You're saying there's a lot of reasons. I just don't feel like being happy about this. Well, if you look in this passage, where does our rejoicing start? It starts in our salvation. So if you've trusted Christ as your Savior you have every reason to rejoice in God. Even if nothing else in the world is going right, you can look at this, and you look at this verse that he talks about, we were enemies and we were reconciled to God. Should that bring joy and rejoicing in your life? Most certainly. Uh, Pastor Kevin taught uh, or uh, t- uh, spoke at the um, service for uh, Bill Wright yesterday, and he, did, he had a great gospel message. It was just very clear, very straightforward. Uh, but at at one point he said, this stuff is exciting stuff. This is good stuff that God has done for us because we, and he, most of you have heard this before, he uses the report card grade. You either get 100% A plus or you get an F. Anything that's not 100% A plus is an F. And if you get an F, then you're condemned. But Jesus Christ came, he got the A plus, and because of his death on the cross, he gives us the A plus and takes our F. And he's like, this is exciting because we couldn't do this. We couldn't save ourselves. We can't do anything to make ourselves right before God. We cannot reconcile ourselves to God. But Christ has done it for us. That ought to be a joyful thing in our lives. Um, we sh- and he goes on to say, we shall be saved by his life. Do you want to be saved? Do you want to be rescued? If you have men, that's a joyful thing. You're no longer condemned. You're no longer under God's wrath. Um... And at the end of the verse, it says, through whom we have now received the reconciliation, that our relationship is right with God again because of what Christ has done. So, so our joy doesn't come from our circumstances. Our joy comes from what God has done. And at the very least, even if you have nothing else in your life, and I, I, I would say for most of you, since you're in the United States especially, you've been blessed greatly by God. There's so much you could rejoice in God for what he's done. But even if you don't have anything else, there's so much to rejoice just in God's salvation. So, we have a lot to rejoice about. Philippians 4 4 is another passage. We are going to study this in several weeks, probably. Nathan, you want to go ahead? Rejoice in the Lord
1: always. Again, I will say rejoice.
0: So, here we're to rejoice. Again, we're to rejoice in the Lord. We're to rejoice when? Always. Always. There's never a time or a reason not to rejoice in the Lord. And Paul, just in case we missed it, he says, again, I will say, rejoice. He's commanding us to rejoice. So we ought to be rejoicing in the Lord. We ought to be living our lives in proclamation and in our actions, showing the joy of God lived out. That's what God wants us to do, and we have great reason to do that. So rejoicing in the Lord, um, this is probably the easiest point. Um, Going on in chapter uh, chapter 3, verse 1, we see our second point here. For me to write the same thing to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. So I I think Paul here is stressing the importance of this command. This was one of the points I had written differently, but I I think what he's doing here is, is saying, you may have heard this before from me, you may have heard this a lot from me. Well, there's a reason why I'm doing that. It's not tedious for me. It's good for you. It's important for you. I want you to get this concept and understand this concept in your life. And so he's stressing the importance of this command here. So Paul is writing the same things. Um, I, I have a list of passages here where Paul talks about rejoicing just in Philippians. And we're not going to look at them all, but you can go and look at it later if you'd like to. Philippians 1.18, 2.17, 4.10, it's Paul, he himself is rejoicing. He's the example of how to rejoice in the Lord. Um, And then in Philippians 2.18, Philippians 2.28, Philippians 4.2, and then uh, in this passage here, of course in Philippians 3, he's talking about the church being commanded to rejoice. And so Paul is repeating this message over and over, and maybe the Philippians are going, yeah, yeah, we've heard this already, we got it. And Paul's saying, no, this is that important. You need to listen, you need to hear. God wants you to be rejoicing in your life. Nathan. 4-4? Four, four. Four, four. Yeah. Um, I probably mistyped. Yeah, it should be 4-4 four, four instead of 4-2, sorry. Just yes. Um, fat fingers and small keyboards, yes. Uh, so, yeah, 4-4 four, four there. Uh, and and he, he makes this point, it's not tedious. The word, this word tedious here, it could mean lazy, troublesome, irksome. It's not something that Paul's like, oh, I have to keep on saying this over and over. Ugh, why aren't they getting it yet? No, he, he, he feels it's that important, he doesn't mind telling them over and over. He wants to share it again and again and again and again because he wants the church to understand this concept of rejoicing that we ought to have in our life. Um, And then he goes on to say it is safe for you. It's safe for the church. Um, Safe means, uh, has the idea of not to trip or not to stumble or to be overthrown. So it's the idea that as they learn this, as they learn to rejoice, this is going to help in their Christian walk. This is going to help them to keep on the right path. This is going to help them to keep doing what God wants them to do. You know, some people might say, Why am I not having victory in my life? Why am I struggling with this sin? Well, are you finding joy in God? You know, there's 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 a list of things you can do, but Paul's saying, start here. Are you finding joy in God? Are you looking at God and saying, This is who God is, this is what God's done for me, I'm gonna rejoice in that. Because when you have that mindset, when you're focused on God, when you're focused on his word, what he's doing, guess what? The outside stuff becomes less and less demanding on your life. Because your focus isn't over here. It's not over here. It's focused straight on God. And Paul's saying that. It, this, this is, you want to be, be, keep yourself from, being, from stumbling, from being overthrown in your life. Get your focus on God. Rejoice in him. Know who he is and, and what he's done for you. And, and let that bring joy in your life. Um, so he's writing these things to protect the church. Let's look at Acts 20, 20 29 through 31. Who would like to read? Abigail, go ahead. I I think this passage here just speaks and shows what Paul's heart is. You know, he's warning everyone day and night with tears. So for him to keep on teaching these things and, and teach the church, it's not like, well, boy, I wish I could do something else, but... They've got to teach these guys again. They're not getting it. I wish it did. No, he, he's, he desires to do that. You see his heart, that he wants them to be safe. He wants them to be protected. He wants them to do what's right and walk in their life. And so he brings this up in here, and I think he's stressing the importance of the church. Yeah, you've heard this before. I've taught this before, even in this book already. I'm going to keep on talking about rejoicing in the book. It's important. I want you to get it. I want you to understand it. It's going to be good for you. It's going to be beneficial for you. Learn to rejoice in the Lord. So then we get to uh, chapter 3, verse 2. And uh, like I said, I, I struggled with where I was going with this. And you look at this verse, Paul's talking about rejoicing. He's talking about how important it is to be teaching this. And then he brings this up. Beware of the dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. What does that have to do with rejoicing? <laughs> oh, you're going to answer? Yeah, to
1: be careful, he by bringing bring
0: down. Okay. That, that's a good thought. Let's, let's look at it and see what he's talking about here. Uh, so I think what Paul is giving us is examples of, Now forgot what I wrote there, examples. Remembered one word. Paul is giving us examples of those who have confidence in the flesh. So he's going to turn over to confidence in the flesh. And I'm going to make the connection of confidence to the flesh to rejoicing in just a second so that you see this. Because I think this fits together. Um... So, he, he talks about this, and he, he gives three commands, these three bewares. My personal opinion on this is that he's talking about the same people in all three of these things. Um, he's just repeating himself. I was trying to think of a real-life example. I was thinking, um, you know, we're in the process at work of hiring some people, um, being the CEO of the company, I'm involved in that. Um, and, you know, I could say, let's, let's talk about who we want and who we don't want to hire. And I can say something like, um, you know, we don't want to hire any crackheads. We don't want to hire people that aren't going to be able to do their job right. And we don't want to hire people that have drug addictions. And it's all basically the same thing, right? I'm talking about the same people. These people, these are the type of people we don't want. And that's not a great example, but I think Paul is using these words to refer to the same people in this passage. So the hardest one of these, I think, is uh, beware of the dogs. What's wrong with dogs? Abigail does not like dogs, by the way. But, but you ask society, what about dogs? And they're, oh, dogs are so cute, they're so lovely. I'm a doggy mom, I'm a doggy dad. You are not. That dog did not come from your body. You're not the parent of that dog, sorry. And now, if everybody, anybody talks like that, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to offend you, but I'm sorry, it's a truth. Um, dogs are pets, they're animals. But, but we love dogs, don't we? They're great. Lynn. Yes, and we're going to talk about that here because uh, what the dogs refer to here, these are scavengers, wild scavengers, and, and these wild scavengers oftentimes plagued the ancient cities. They would be in the cities, they would be um, there trying to steal food, they would be hurting people. They were a nuisance. You didn't keep dogs as pests, the dogs were a problem, they were a, a pest. You know, at that time, maybe they had dog exterminators. I don't know. They went around killing the dogs because they didn't want the dogs in the city. Um, So um, there's some examples um, given here. I'm not going to go to these passages, but you see in Exodus 22, 1 Kings 14 and 16 and 21, uh, where it talks about, like, and the one example I remember of all these is Jezebel was prophesied that she would be thrown to the dogs and they would eat her flesh. And that was what dogs did. They... They scavenged the city, um, and so they were. They were. That's what they referred to. So, dogs here is used as a derogatory term. This isn't a cute term. You're not, not. Don't beware poodles. This is these wild scavenger dogs. Okay. So let's look at a couple of verses here. Uh, Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. Need a reader. Nathan's hand gone up. He's the only Our one. This is a, uh, in a section of the Mes- Messianic section of the Psalms. It's talking about Jesus Christ here. And it, it's talking about his crucifixion. And it's saying, dogs have surrounded me. Now, that's not a cute thing. They're not the dogs. there to you know, bring him comfortable. He's on the cross. Oh, look at those cute dogs. I feel so. No, these were bad things that were surrounding him. These refer to people that were against him, that were causing him harm. Uh, so not a good thing in this passage. Um, another passage we want to look at is Revelation 22, 14 and 15. Josiah, go ahead.
1: Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers, especially
0: immoral and murderers and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. So I'm going to work my way backwards here. The ones outside the city, the ones that aren't in the New Jerusalem, that aren't part of God's eternal program here, are those who practice a lie, who love and practice a lie. That's a bad thing, right? Um, those who are idolaters, you know, that's bad. I've been reading through e- e- Ezekiel, and everybody, including the Israelites, are practicing idolatry, and God says, hey, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy you, I'm going to destroy you. The whole book of Ezekiel is like, you're not doing right, you get to be destroyed. Thank you. Um, so idolatry, very bad. God hates that. Um, murderers, anybody think murdering is a good thing? No? The uh, sexual, like sexually immoral, we know that's wrong, right? Uh, sorcery, is that a good thing? Has that ever been a good thing? No, it's not. And so the other one is dogs. So do we say dog's good thing and the rest of these bad? No, these are all bad things. The dogs refer to wicked, evil people. Uh, so he's saying beware of the dogs. These wicked, evil people, these this is a derogatory term, these are people who are not doing what God wants them to do. Um, Secondly, he says, beware of evil workers. To me, evil workers, this is the easiest one to explain because it's people that do evil work. Okay? Does anybody have a question on that? That's, I think that's pretty clear. A couple of verses, let's look at that. Uh, Psalm 28.3, another reader, please. Go ahead, Jenny. Do not
1: take me away with the wicked and with the workers
0: of who speak to them first, if evil I like this verse because I think this fits in with what they're talking about here. And I didn't explain this right away, but I'm getting there now. Um, Paul gives those examples of who have, who have confidence in the flesh. These are not people that are outside the church. These are not people that are, you know, those are those unbelievers over there. These are people that have infiltrated the church. And this, Psalm 28 here talks about those who speak peace to their neighbors. They look good. They sound like they're doing the right thing. But evil is in their heart. And we're going to see, I think the third point will we'll make that clear that that's what Paul's talking about here. So these are not only just evil, wicked people, but these are evil, wicked people that don't look that evil and wicked and are coming into the church and infiltrating the church and leading the church away from rejoicing in the Lord and to other things. So that's where I'm kind of going with this. Luke 13, uh, 2 through 25 through 27, not 2 through 27. That would be a long passage. Jonathan, go ahead. So here we have a story Jesus tells about people outside the gate. Uh, They're being judged, and he says, I don't know you. I don't know where you're from. I'm not letting you in. The people's response is not like, oh, well, that makes sense. We were kind of wicked, evil people. The response is, we knew you. We we were among you. We ate with you. We, We listened to you teach. We're your buddies. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You may have looked like that, but you're workers of iniquity. You've done what's wrong. And that's going to be true in the church too is that we need to be careful, we need to beware, we need to be observant. Um, and I missed the definition of beware, I just realized it. Now it's at the bottom of my sheet, barely you can see it here. But to beware means to look out, to be on alert, you need to watch out. And that's what Paul is warning us here beware of these evil workers. And then the third one, uh, this one's almost as difficult as dogs, so beware of the mutilation. What's the mutilation? Weird, right? Um, mutilation, by the way, means to be, cut, to be cutting something in pieces, to slashing it up. Like um, I was cutting potatoes last night for our supper, and you can say I mutilate them because I cut them into a number of pieces. Abigail said they look perfect, so almost perfect. I don't think she used perfect, she said it was almost perfect. The amount and how I cut them, so I feel like I did a really good job. And that makes me very proud. I have confidence in my flesh that I can cut potatoes. Okay, not really, but... Um, so what does mutilation mean? Well, it has it, it, it the idea of cutting, and then in the next verse, we t- Paul says, we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit. We think that this means this. This is talking to the circumcision, to Jews, who have infiltrated the church, and now are coming in and saying, look, church guys are pretty good, but you need to start doing stuff that's in the law because otherwise you're not going to be right with God. You need to be circumcised, you need to be keeping passover, you need to be doing uh, this thing and that thing, you need to be worshipping the Old Testament way because what you're doing now is great, yeah, you've trusted Christ but it's not enough. And they're they're preaching a different gospel. And I think it refers to all three of these things. Paul calls them dogs. He says these are awful people, they're bad people. They're this derogatory the term, they're dogs. They're evil workers. They're preaching a different gospel than what Christ teach, taught. And they're the mutilation. They're, they look like they're good. They're Jews, but they're not preaching the right thing. Um, so it, it seems to be a contrast to the circumcision, which we'll talk about in the next section. Uh, the NASB uses, instead of mutilish, mutilation, it uses the term false circumcision, for this word, how they translated it. So it could be these Jews who will infiltrate in the church, but either were not saved or not seeking to do the things of God. So Reading a passage here, Galatians 5, 2 through 4, and 11 through 12. Matt, go ahead. Okay, so here, starts off verse 1, that circumcision profits you nothing. Now, I know in our culture, a lot of baby boys are circumcised. It's not talking about just, if you circumcise, well, you, you messed up. That's not what it's talking about. What it's talking about here, and you can see this uh, as you read on, um, that in verse 2, you becomes circumcised, he's a debtor to the whole law. And then in verse 3, uh, it's just like, again, everyone becomes circumcised, that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. I guess I just read that. Verse 4, you're coming estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law. So the idea is they're becoming justified, or they're becoming circumcised because they think it makes them more acceptable in the eyes of God. They think that by doing this work, it's going to bring them some kind of justification, some kind of righteousness in their life that is apart from what Christ does for us. So you see where they're they're getting it wrong here. And then in verse eleven and twelve, you know, Paul says, I don't preach circumcision because that would take away from the cross, the offense of the cross. And the offense of the cross is that Jesus had to die for us because that's the only way to forgive us our sins, to take care of that, that, that wrath that God had on us. And if you preach a circumcision, he's saying, well, Christ died, that's helpful, but you've got to do more. And that's a wrong gospel. Um, and then even in verse 12, this is a little tongue-in-cheek, I wish, tongue-in-cheek, I wish that those who trouble you would cut them, even cut themselves off. You can see how that relates to circumcision. He's like... I wish, you know, I think you get the picture. Anyway, um, so the idea here, I think these people are people who are pushing these religious Jewish things, saying you got to do what the Old Testament tells you. You have to be circumcised. You have to go through the ritual things of the Jews because it brings about your righteousness. And Paul's saying, no, our righteousness comes only from Christ. Only from faith in him. And so that leads into our fourth point because I, I want to explain more, but I want to get to it in this point here. Uh, Philippians 3:3 3, 3, For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So Paul commands us to place our confidence in God and not in the flesh. So he's going from beware of the mutilation to saying we are the circumcision. You see where the connection is here now. These are the false cutoff ones. Here's the true cutoff ones. We are the circumcision. He's not talking about Jewish circumcision because he says he who, we who worship God in the spirit. That's who's the circumcision. That's who's right with God, who worship God in the spirit. So it's a spiritual idea. We worship God in the spirit. A couple of verses. Let's look at Romans chapter two, verses twenty-three through twenty-nine. Nice long passage. Who's going to be brave? Nathan wants to be brave. Okay, Nathan stands up. Go ahead, Nathan.
1: circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. For he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of
0: Here Paul's writing to Jews and saying, you're sitting here claiming I'm circumcised. That makes me good with God. And Paul's saying, no. What makes you good with God is being righteous. And if you're circumcised, but you don't keep the law, you might as well not be circumcised. That's what it's counted for. It's counted for uncircumcision. The point is not to be circumcised. The point is to be righteous before God. He says, "If an uncircumcised person, if he does the things of the law, if he keeps the law perfectly, isn't that going to be counted for him as righteousness? And he is more circumcised than you are because he's doing what God wants him to do." Now, I wanted to point this on here in chapter three. Paul tells us that there's no one that's righteous, and that all of sin fall short of the glory of God. Right? That's coming up. So nobody even does this. The un- uncircumcised doesn't keep the law. But Paul's making an argument if that were to happen. God would count that for righteousness for him. And and the point of circumcision is not you get circumcised so you can be, you know, in God's better graces. The point of circumcision is saying, I'm committed to God and I'm going to do what God says, I'm going to be his people, I'm going to live righteously for him. And if you can't do that, then it doesn't mean anything. And these Jews, again, these these dogs, these evil workers, the mutilation are coming to the church and they're saying, you gotta do this. This is how you're righteous before God. You need to follow the Jewish tradition. You know, you guys have faith in Christ. That's a good start, but there's more. And Paul's saying there's not more. There is faith in God. It's rejoicing in God. And this is where, um, and I'll get to it in a second. I'm going to hold off because I want to get this all together here. So he says, who worship God in the Spirit. And then he says, rejoice in Christ Jesus. So we heard this already, right? Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in Christ Jesus. So he's making this command again. Um, And I think this is in contrast to the next command, because then you have this and. So you rejoice in Christ Jesus, and you have no confidence in the flesh. So what do these have to do together? Well, rejoicing we have as this active outer expression of our joy, right? How do we outerly express something? Well, we live joyfully, but a lot of it is in our words, right? The way we speak. There's a proclamation. So what I think here is that and I, would, I don't know if I'd necessarily use the word boasting, but Paul uses that sometimes, that he boasts in the Lord and what he's done. That's the idea, that our focus is on rejoicing in the Lord and giving God the glory and boasting in him and saying, this is what God's done in my life. And I'm going to go to the next point real quick. So it, the contrast is having no confidence in the flesh, and this word confidence means to boast, to boast about, to take pride in, to rejoice, Be glad. And so the idea is these Judaizers, these people who wanted the church to put themselves back under the law and do the things of the law, they were saying, look at me. I'm righteous because I'm circumcised, because I'm keeping the law of Moses, because I'm doing the right things. That's what makes me righteous. And they're boasting in their own accomplishments, in their own works. And why Paul's saying rejoice in the Lord, he's saying, don't rejoice in that you got great works. Don't rejoice in yourself and what you're doing. Rejoice in the Lord and what he's done for you. He's the one that's worked in your life. He's the one who's made you righteous. He's the one who's giving you his spirit and his word to guide you and direct you. And as you follow that and doing that, he's working in your life. It's all God. It's not you. And so that's, that's where I think, again, we, we look, I, when I first looked at saying, I like, what do these have to do with each other? Well, they fit together. Where is our confidence? Where is our boasting? Where is our rejoicing at? Are we focused on ourselves and what we do? If Sean gets up there and vacuums the auditorium 100,000 times, that doesn't make me any more righteous before God. What makes me righteous before God is what Christ has done for me on the cross. That he died to pay for my sins and he rose again to give me his righteousness in God that I may be made alive in him, that I may have eternal life. It's nothing I can do. It's all God. And even as I'm up here teaching, you know what? It's, it's God's word and God's spirit working in me I hope I'm doing it justice I hope that I'm doing what God wants me to do But it's not Sean being awesome it's, it's God working, it's all God My rejoicing is in him Not in anything that I have Not in anything that I do I can't make myself righteous before God That's what Paul's saying here Rejoice in the Lord and have no confidence in your flesh Don't trust in the things you do Don't glory in the things you do Glory in God one more passage, uh, 2 Corinthians 11.18. One more reader. Anybody want to read that? Have you read yet, Eric? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. You can do that one. This is a tough, tough passage. I'm not going to deal with the I will also boast because Paul's talking a little tongue-in-cheek with the Corinthians here about how they're wise and he's a fool and stuff like that. Um, but he says many boast according to the flesh. That's... That's something that we're prone to do. That's something that we struggle with because, you know, we do something and we feel kind of good about it. We're like, what I did? That was pretty cool. Uh, yeah, Nathan does see, that. Nathan, see, Nathan's so humble that he's praising himself about being humble. I, uh, I backed a van into the parking lot at the church yesterday where the funeral's at. And I got on and said, wow, I did a great job backing the, this big van into here. I was really proud of myself. That's not a spiritual thing. I'm not trying to say I'm more righteous because of that. But we, we do that. We're like, oh, hey guys, look at how well I parked the car. Look at how well I cut the potatoes yesterday. See, I'm boasting all about my... It comes so easily. Paul says, don't focus on that. Focus on the Lord. Rejoice in him. Where's your confidence at? Is your confidence in the things that you're doing? I, I'm reading my Bible every day. I'm going to church every time the church doors are open. I'm singing in the choir. I know we don't have a choir. You know, whatever it is, and, and, and is it like I'm a good person because look at what I'm doing, or is it I'm a good person because of what Christ has done for me? Where's our boasting? Where's our rejoicing? It's in the Lord. I'll give you a couple of takeaways here. And I actually didn't take as long as I thought I would, so I'm going to boast of myself again, I guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, everyone's <laughs> <it's> going careful. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Am I paying attention to anything I'm teaching at all? Yes, Stephen, we're supposed to be paying attention. Yes, Nathan, be paying attention. Um, so takeaways. So twice we are commanded to rejoice in, the, in Jesus within these three verses. Um, that seems like it might be pretty important, right? Uh, we read Philippians 4.4. Uh, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say rejoice. And Paul seems to be repeating this. They think that might be important. Um, So our rejoicing begins with our salvation. If you have nothing else to rejoice in, and again, I would argue that every single person in this room who's saved, uh, I, I think most of you are, if not all of you, have more to rejoice about than just your salvation. But even if you didn't, your salvation is more than enough to rejoice in God. So it starts there, and we are commanded to rejoice in all things. God has given us every reason to rejoice. That ought to be the natural state of our life, that joy that's pouring out and causing us to rejoice in our words and actions. So secondly here, um, as I took this back to the dogs here, people will infiltrate our lives who will try to lead us to believe the wrong things and live the wrong way. Paul says beware three times. You might think that that's a little bit important too. So we need to be on the lookout for these people and be aware of the influence they can have on us. Because their intention is not for us to rejoice in the Lord. Their intention is to be like them and rejoice in what they've done and the, the, the things that I look at me, I'm amazing, I'm awesome. You should be like that too. Look at what you're doing. You're, you're doing awesome. You know, take a little pride in yourself. Jonathan, you're doing awesome. Take some pride in yourself. And Jonathan's like, no, I'm rejoicing in the Lord. Yeah, and that's what we need to be doing. Uh, number three, we have nothing with, within ourselves which we can have confidence in. Only, God can, and only in God can we be confident. He is good, faithful, and loving. He'll provide us all that we need and give us the strength to live righteously for him. It's all him. It's all about God. It's all about bringing him glory, um, of lifting him up, of making him large, I think. Uh, you know, all these things, we need to be focused on the Lord. So any thoughts, questions, comments, concerns? Nathan. I, I think there's some truth in that. Yes, um, yeah, that, that's one of the hardest things. I know this from having preached in the past. Is that you will get people to come up and and say, "That was a wonderful sermon. I really appreciate that," and that feeds right into the flesh, and you start going, "Yeah, that was a wonderful sermon." <laughs> but no, you, you need to refocus it back on. Well, this is. The, I'm just trying to teach God's word. Give God the glory. You know, and I, that's a hard thing to do. Um, I, th- I think there's, you know, in the Bible, we ought to be assured that we are doing the right things. We ought to know that, hey, I'm, um, you know, I'm, I'm doing my best to live for God. I'm pursuing the right things. And so we ought to have some confidence in that. But there's, there's the borderline between having confidence that we're doing the right things and being encouraged by that and letting it go to our head and think, okay, well, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing a really good job. I'm living for the Lord. You know, there's the focus of the I or the Lord. And so, does that kind of answer me what you're thinking? Olivia. That's actually what Mrs. is taught on at women's history. It's what I was Are you George Roberts or George Edwards coming up that whole thing? That makes me feel like I wish I was a woman and heard that.
1: I have to know if you want to say that. You can
0: choose to do with No, I, no, and not be right with God, I don't think so. Thanks, thanks for that, Ted. That was very edifying this morning. And it, it's it's a hard thing because, you know, I, I struggle with being kind of trite about it when people say that. I say, oh, glorify God, or I give glory to God. You know, and not really meaning it. The, the the point is not just to say it even, but to also mean it, to say that, you know, this is really I'm not saying that. I, I think you probably do believe that, that it is about God, because from what I know, Jordan, that's his character. That's why I want my character to be. I don't, Sean is a nerdy, uh, goofy sometimes doesn 't know what he's singing as far as words in the morning service, and uh you know I mess things up, I do things bad it's God working through me and god if i if I do anything for God it's God working through me, and if I mess things up, it 's me messing them up so it 's never about me it 's always about God, and uh, that's an attitude we need to cultivate in our lives and it doesn't mean again that we can't have confidence in what we're doing that we can't be like okay you know i'm I know I'm walking with God right now. I'm, I'm reading my Bible. I'm studying my Bible. I'm encouraging others. I'm doing things God wants me to do. That's good, but again, it's God doing it, but I, I have confidence that I'm walking the way he wants me to walk. We can have that without being about us and without being about building ourselves up. Does that make sense? I feel like I'm kind of rambling out a little bit. Um, anything else? Okay, let's go ahead and close in prayer. Um, Ted, will you close us in prayer? Before you all run off, I just want to remind you, you read the, the further on in the chapter, so if you're not convinced that I'm on the right track here, the next part talks about Paul saying, look at what I have the boast in, but I'm not going to do it. Because it's nothing compared to knowing God and his will for me. So that's what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks, but um, I think this is on the right track here. <laughs>